On this episode of AV Week, we are, or I am, coming to you from Las Vegas, the first regional roadshow uh, for LeGrand. We'll talk about that. Also, how to overcome supply chain shortages in 2022 and the future of 8K. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 544, recorded Friday, January 21st, 2022. Grassroots AV. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Extron, industry leading technology backed by world class support. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. Uh, if you're listening to this, uh, I sound a little differently. Uh, if you're watching it, you can see the fact that I'm not in the studio. I'm in Las Vegas uh, for LeGrand AV's first open house uh, road show with the uh, LeGrand AV trailer. So uh, they're bouncing around the, the, the country. We'll talk about that in a second. But first and foremost, uh, with me to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. First and foremost, Haley Tui uh, from Harmon. Welcome, ma'am. Hi. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, ma'am. Uh, and also with us is my, uh, my good friend, uh, the uh, sage of the AV industry, Mr. Brock McGinnis from Nationwide. Welcome, sir. Hi, Tim. This is fantastic. And I wish I was with you. I'd love to be in Vegas right now. <laughs> I, wish you, I wish you were, too. Hopefully, hopefully by the time um, Infocom comes around, uh, you will be able to get back in the country. Brock is from is, lives in Toronto, um, and you'll be able to get back in, into the country. So that that is ideal. Um, first story, though, guys, uh, comes to us from our friends over at AV Magazine. Uh, Roland Hemmings, uh, a consultant, uh, he writes how to overcome supply chain shortages in 2022. Not to be silly. But um, that, that's, that is a, a tall order. Uh, everything between the, uh, the backlog of barges and ships, uh, both in, in uh, Long Beach in LA, but also in, in New Jersey, uh, and now down around Savannah, Georgia. Serious, serious backups there, and chip shortages. However, uh, Mr. Hemmings does give us a couple of options here. One is be honest, order early, and communicate with vendors. That is one option, certainly. Um, Brock, there's a couple other options as well. One is, is when you are communicating and being honest with your clients, uh, letting them know uh, some of the other options that they have. If they are a quote-unquote one house or another, uh, you may love this product or this company, but here, here are some other options that you have. When you guys are talking to clients right now, what are you telling them and how are you able to communicate some of this, uh, the issues that we're having right now? Um, I'm telling them it's exactly the same thing as trying to buy a new car. Uh, you just can't get one, uh, but you can order one and uh, you'll get exactly what you want next year. Um, the approach that we're generally taking, Tim, is, uh, is as Roland pointed out, is to go more generic in our design. If I need a, a six input, four output matrix switcher, um, that's what I'm quoting. And that gives me the flexibility later when it comes time to deliver uh, to be able to choose a product from a bunch of different manufacturers. Uh, and, uh, and the other thing that we're doing is before we sit down um, to design a new system is actually talking to vendors about what they have on the shelf because uh, there are many ways to skin a cat. Um, if you have 
you know, a, a clean sheet of paper to design with. And uh, as I had mentioned to Haley when we were speaking before uh, the show started recording, um, I have a proposal going out today um, with stuff in it that, uh, for the most part, I've never used before. Uh, but it's available, um, it's of uh, good quality, and it meets the customer's needs. Uh, and the customer's number one need is that 90 days from now, uh, they have a training room uh, to uh, to open up and, and uh, uh, deal with their employees as they start to come back uh, to work in the office. So, okay, the question of uh, how do we overcome supply chain shortages, it, it's a tough one for me. And, and as a manufacturer, um, you know, I, I almost feel like uh, a politician when I answer this question, because for me, honestly, as a sales manager, it, it doesn't come down to how do we overcome supply chain shortages at this moment for me it is how do i properly communicate supply chain shortages to my customers so in my case i am an end customer business development manager and i have a small team and at harman what we focus on because i am a harman employee and i have to get in front of that is is we focus on setting expectations with end customers on their project and we keep it extremely project focused now, something that I think is important for any manufacturer, because we are the ones who are, you know, taking a lot of the blame for supply chain shortages naturally, is that the first step with any large organization is to internally, properly internally communicate supply chain shortages on a skew by skew basis. And no, I don't mean, you know, put a, a press release out for the public about every single skew every single day. It's, it's not possible when there are thousands of SKUs that an organization is manufacturing. But uh, it, it has to start internally uh, because it effectively becomes a big game of telephone. Uh, and internally, people need to know, okay, what can I communicate with my integrator, with the consultant who then passes that on to the end customer? And in my case, what can I communicate directly with an end customer, even though I'm not selling direct? So the first step is internal communication. It must be done right. Well, and I, I think too, um, Haley, that, uh, that manufacturers can pivot a little bit. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of products you would like to sell, but they're not available. Um, if, uh, yeah. you know, if, if your uh, people, you know, can tell you and say, hey, these are products that we do have on the shelf and that we can sell, um, your sales force can make those things known. And that's really valuable uh, information to integrators because many of us integrators are needing to have to pivot as well. We're selling a lot more service. Um, we're selling what we can get our hands on to meet client needs in the short term while we wait for the products that we've already sold them to be able to install uh, in the long term. And, uh, and there, is no, uh, there is no magic pill that is going to fix this. Um, I, uh, I uh, play cards with a fellow that is uh, very senior with one of the uh, computer manufacturers. And they're telling their largest customers 23 months. That's the order time. Oh boy. Um, for, uh, uh, you know, for certain kinds of, and I, I'm not gonna mention the computer manufacturer, but, uh, but these problems are serious and they go way beyond the audiovisual industry. Um, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's anything, anything with a chip in it. Let, let's, let's highlight something that, that Brock just said there. Uh, anything with a chip in it, 23 months. 
we're, we're recording this at the end of January of 2022. Not that my math is the greatest in the world, but 12 months is in a year. Let's call 24 months. That's two years. That's 2025 is what we're looking at. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Um, that's what I was told on, uh, on the delivery of uh, PCs and computing components, some PCs and computing components. Um, so, uh, and, and it, it shocked me and I asked him again, um, but uh, that's what they're quoting their customers. That is absolutely crazy. Uh, and it just, it's always a good reminder for me. And of course, I'm, I'm looking at trends beyond the AV industry just to, just to see how is this industry affected versus others. And it, it's both validating and also terrifying when, when I see data about what's going on in other industries. Um, and of course, they, those all do overlap with us in some ways, or a lot of these do, but uh, like a computer manufacturer, for example, that, that, that is AV, but even outside of that, you know, with car, cars, for example, it's, it, it, it's, uh, it's a problem that we are all experiencing. Yeah. Um, and it's scary. <laughs> the other thing it's going to do is, is the chipsets themselves, the chips themselves. Uh, there are a couple of stories that have come out the last couple of days. One is the fact that Intel is, is building a, a brand new chip manufacturing plant in Ohio, of all places. Uh, if you haven't looked or, or researched, um, uh, the, the chip manufacturing. Typically it happens in Shenzhen, also in, in uh, Singapore. Uh, Vietnam is a place that they, have, that they have chip manufacturing plants. It's a several billion dollar uh, investment and it takes about two or three years to do. So the fact that they're doing it in the States is remarkable to me and it may do something to the, the U.S. manufacturing of AV uh, devices. Uh, but we won't know for probably another four to five years. So. All right. Um, Next story here uh, comes to us from TV Technology. The 8K Association um, has bolstered the TV certification. The the the, the TV certification. Uh, they also announced some new members. Part of the new certification has uh, streaming metrics as well as image quality metrics. They are pioneering the use of something called ACR, which is ambient contrast ratio. This is supposed to help with ambient lighting conditions. Uh, it's quite interesting. Um, one thing about that technology is the fact that they're able to somehow um, tell the type of ambient light in the room and adjust the contrast ratio uh, accordingly. Haley, we'll start with you on this. Um, from your perspective and, and, and being in the industry, you know, where do you see this or, or when do you see this uh, 8K certification and 8K in general uh, impacting the industry? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a super exciting topic, honestly. And and uh, I did my homework on this one to, to make sure that, that I understand what this is. So if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to explain very quickly because I see in the marketplace, a, <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best and, and feel free to interject if you're like, I'm not sure about that. But okay, so the first thing I think people need to understand, and, and as an audio person, this is kind of becoming newer for me when talking about we'll say TVs because everyone knows what TVs are, but also large format displays, right? 8K is resolution. So I guess at one point in time, I think the, the, the terminology was 1080 was the, the standard resolution. There was probably something before that on TVs. Right now, I would say the industry standard is probably 4K uh, and, and 8K is, is becoming the latest and greatest. And, and all resolution refers to is obviously the number of pixels on a screen. So it's relatively simple. Um, but, but why 8K? Like, why is it awesome? Well, 
Admittedly, when I hear 8K, I think it's probably two times as good as 4K, which already in itself kind of blows my mind because 4K is really good. I've seen some very high quality screens uh, in 4K, but 8K is actually four times as good as 4K. So the pixel per inch count on 8K screens, it, it creates much better detail, uh, which you could see on a large format display or a large TV. And you could see it on a smaller TV too, but it's obviously more evident in, in something that's bigger. Um, so for me with 8K, there, there's two lines of thought. One, if it already exists, because the 8KA Association, I believe has actually existed now for, for just over two years. That was my understanding and my reading and research. Why aren't we all using 8K now if it has already existed? And I'll talk about that in a second. And then that, to answer the major question, which is what I'm all kind of, which is my preamble to is why does it matter? Well, uh, first of all, why aren't we all using 8K? Well, most of today's content is created with 4K resolution. There's actually a pretty limited amount of native 8K content right now. So that means that you won't get the most out of your 8K television at this time, at this moment, if the content was produced with 4K resolution, which right now it often is, but that but that's changing. Um, now, now, of course, if, if you're producing your own content, you have a lot more control over all of this. So if you're a major retailer uh, or you're a hotel or something like this, this isn't so much an issue. Um, but but it's worth noting if you're looking to buy an 8K television at this time right now. Uh, 8K is also for some people as a consumer cost prohibitive. Again, if you're a hotel, you're a major retailer, you know, it's it's there's definitely a bigger argument right now for, for 8K already. But so then it's like, okay, it's expensive. A lot of content isn't produced with 8K, so then wait, why 8K? And and to, to answer that, to me, is, is kind of obvious. It's because it's better. Anytime new technology, you know, becomes a thing, there's always those people in the beginning who are, like, nervous to be early adopters, which I totally get. But but for me, that when I, and I have to say, as a Harman employee, I Harman was acquired by Samsung. For me, I remember seeing 8K for the first time uh, at, a, at a trade show. And I was like, oh my gosh, I totally get it. Um, it displays, there's some amazing 4K displays, but 8K is like, it's mind blowing. And as an audio person, I have to say it's, it's very evident. And as visual beings, it, it's pretty clear. So I think that's gonna be the standard at some point. I think the 8KA association is super passionate and it's super, super interesting. And I think like any technology right now, it's it's still in its early adoption phase. There's some amazing tech that already exists and it's going to eventually be, I believe the industry standard in the future, just like people asked this question about 4K at one point in time. So that's that's my thoughts on that. I know that was a very long answer. <laughs> no, no, it's perfect, I loved it. Uh, Brock, she's not wrong. I mean, we, we you and I have lived through, you know, um, from standard def to what we call HD at the time, which we argued about that was what that was, and then now we're arguing about what 4K is, uh, whether that's you know ultra high def or you know whatever. Um, where do we see 8K coming in into play here, um, and and how big of an impact will it have, and when? Um, so you're talking to somebody who didn't just start with standard def. I started with black and white. Color was a big deal when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> The, okay, uh, hang on for it. Not in your career, though. Not in your career. No, no, no. In in my career, um, in my career, I sold uh, some forty-inch plasma screens at the 
very onset of the plasma flat screens and they looked amazing and I sold them for more than $15,000 each because that's what they cost at the time and people bought them in multiples. Um, the, um, uh, there is a segment of our society that wants the best and particularly, you know, you, uh, Haley, you talked about uh, uh, major brands. Uh, major brands want a wow factor, and 8K is going to give them a wow factor. Uh, the yes. uh, the IMAX people are already shooting uh, in resolutions like 8K. And uh, when I went to see Dune um, on uh, on the opening weekend at an IMAX, I'll tell you that the depth um of that and it's a beautiful beautiful movie um the the depth of the image uh is so much greater in that higher resolution than even on my oled 4k tv at home so um so there there are people and people will pay it it's like when sony uh, first came out with their um their micro led uh, screen and i always forget the name of it and and uh, call it something different or or samsung's the wall um the uh, holy smokes factor at the trade shows was incredible because you know we're a bunch of video professionals we're looking at this and saying i have never seen anything that looks that good well uh, 8k is going to be there too and as a result people are going to want it and and so um, circling back, Tim, to the article, I love the fact that there will be standards because uh, a 4K standard and a UHD standard are not the same thing. Um, and uh, so as 8K is introduced first through the professional market and then to the consumer market, I would love those to be the same thing and be able to count on a certain amount of bandwidth. And it, and frankly, Haley um, and Tim, it, th this, this drives our industry. Uh, as soon as there are, yeah. there's 8K content and there's 8K playback devices and, uh, uh, and 8K displays, well, then we need this whole new generation of 8K uh, transport and switching systems. And, um, and that, you know, that uh, continuous update of technology and improvement and extension uh, is really what, you know, what drives, uh, drives our industry. So it, it's exciting, Tim. I, um, I, yeah. never thought, I never thought that 4K would, be, would become as ubiquitous uh, as quickly as it did, but all of a sudden, boom. And not only ubiquitous, but downright cheap. Right, it's just it's very, very affordable. You buy a 4K TV at the uh, at the end of the aisle at at uh, your local supermarket now for a couple hundred bucks. Wait, so it's not quite that cheap yet. Um, <laughs> let me let me ask one quite final question here before we, before we let this topic go. And it, it's you know Haley works for Harman. Harman has an AV over IP solution. Um, what does AK do to that technology? Because at, at 1080p, we're already stretching, right? The limits of copper. Certainly, we can go over fiber. That's not the, the conversation that, that, and that might, that might be the answer, right? 
4K is, is the, the compression that we're doing and the things that, that the various companies are doing when it comes to AV over IP. Now, as to Haley's point, we are quadrupling the, the, the pixels. We are quadrupling the amount of information we're trying to push down, you know, Cat 6, Cat 7, Cat 8. What does 8K, and if it does become this, this standard, what does that do to the AV over IP conversation? Yeah, so the industry adapted very quickly um, to uh, to the four to four K, and they can, you know, a million companies can uh, transmit um, marginally compressed four K over one gig networks. Um, Ten gig allegedly is better. Well, my guess is uh, ten gig won't accommodate eight K, but my guess is is that the industry will find a way. Uh, to put it on, um, uh, to put uh, somewhat compressed 8K onto a 10 gig network. Um, or we're all going to go to glass. And, uh, and that's great because um, fibers, uh, I mean, fiber has become uh, easy to work with. Um, it's pretty cost effective. Uh, it, like it, it's not all that much more for OM3 multimode fiber than it is now for shielded CAT6A, which is the, the 10 gig um, kind of standard. So it's, um, uh, I, I don't think, I don't think these are insurmountable problems. The evolution uh, will all happen at the same time and it's gonna happen uh, by demand. Um, and there are people, and I love seeing how excited Haley was about the 8K technology because that's exactly the kind of excitement that drives um, technological advancement and uh, and and changes and it's it's terrific. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a as manufacturers, we have to continuously adapt, you know, and, and constantly keep up with what's going on. So, I mean, Samsung partnered with uh, the 8KA Association, I think, in 2020 or 2019. So, so there's been time to make changes and and, and prepare for this and as it becomes more of an industry standard, I think we'll be able to do exactly that. So yeah, it's exciting. Uh, all right, I mentioned at the, at the top uh, here that I am not in the studio. I am in Las Vegas uh, at Gordon Biersch uh, Brewing Company on Paradise uh, for Le Grand's uh, first open stop, I guess. They've done a couple uh, with, with integrators. Um, but like a lot of folks, they are doing uh, regional um, shows. Uh, our friends at Crestron have done a number of them. They're, theirs is called Next. Um, Brock, I'm going to start with you on this, and, and um, Brock has a little bit different uh, perspective being in Canada. Sometimes they are able to translate this and, and, and put these uh, and bring them over the border. Sometimes they're not. Um, but when you look at, at these regional shows, and, and you know, one of the things that, uh, that drove this was um, Infocom moving to October, and then, and then some folks you know, not, you know, choosing not to exhibit there, LeGrand being one of them. Um, so they're, they're bringing their wares out to, to folks on a regional basis. What do regional shows do uh, for the industry, for the folks here locally, but also what does it mean to shows like Infocom, like NAM, and, and maybe even like Cedia? I, I don't think, um, I don't think it, it uh, takes away from the Infocoms at all. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of regional shows and local shows. Um, if the local rep can be combined with product that can be demonstrated by factory experts, right? And that's what a local show really does. Uh, you've got the best of all worlds because as a customer, 
I already have a relationship with the local rep. Um, I know all about the product, but I've never been able to see and touch it and, uh, and have somebody show me how it works. And a webinar is not the same as being able to do that in person. And so, uh, you know, having folks from say Vadio who will be in your, uh, in your trailer, uh, be able to show me their camera and and uh, how some of the new features work uh, and how to integrate that with uh, control and and whatnot. That's uh, to me that's just priceless. Um, and I, I think manufacturers had gotten away from it because it was so expensive. Um, but grassroots sales uh, is phenomenal. I might go to Infocom. Uh, there might be one or two other senior people in my company uh, that are able to go to Infocom. Um, but a local show, I think we had like 14 people at, uh, uh, at a local distributor show last fall in, uh, in that brief period of time that Canadians were allowed out of their houses. Um, and, uh, and it was phenomenally successful. It was just, it was, it was wonderful. So um, go for it. Grassroots all the way. All right, you, you will eventually get out of your house again, sir. I, I promise. <laughs> um, Haley, same kind of question from the manufacturing standpoint, but also as just somebody in the industry, what do regional shows mean to you? So I think regional shows, first of all, I agree with Brock. Like, I think they're extremely important. And I'm not, of course, this is a very salesperson answer, right? I think we should do both. Um, because at national shows, it's like obvious, right? You can identify what your competition is doing as a brand. You know, you can see where they're investing their money and what they're choosing to show to the public. And more importantly, of course, and I'm competitive, so I'm always deferring to that, but you get to learn macro level trends. You get to, if you work for a big company, you can network with your colleagues from other countries in person and also even virtually. And it's, there's just a lot of great learnings that go on at a, at a national event. But the reason that I love regional events, and especially when I was a regional sales manager, is because whether you are an integrator or a manufacturer, or maybe even a consultant, um, you know, and this is a competitive answer, but this is kind of where my mind goes. I'm not able to only assess my competition as a brand, but I'm able to assess the people who work for that brand in a regional setting. So when I was a regional sales manager uh, with a former job, uh, and I was covering New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and part of New York, I was able to see my competition and I was actually able to put, you know, a face to a name and know exactly what my competition is doing. And obviously when you're, uh, well, maybe not obviously, when you're setting up for a regional trade show, a lot of times as a salesperson, you actually have more agency over the decision-making of how your booth looks, product placement, you know, a lot of times you will get help from marketing with regards to banner setup and, and all that. But, um, you know, you can kind of identify what other people are doing and see how what the choices that they are making. So there's a much more personal component to it, if that makes any sense. And I'll also say that, say that the leads that you will get at a regional trade show are a lot more relevant for a regional salesperson because they're within your region, of course, naturally. Um, I guess, you know, we are not so advanced as a society yet where regional events don't matter. We're getting closer and closer to becoming this like international world and we are, but, but we're farther away from that than we think. And things that are closer to us naturally are going to impact us more, especially, especially if we are regional sales managers. And of course, this is just my perspective, which is why I keep talking about sales because this is just yeah. my lens, but I think it's 
it's super, super important. You know, you got to be local and you have to be national and you have to be international. Uh, thank you both so much and for, for indulging my, my uh, experiment here. Mr. McGinnis, how do people connect with you? Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, at Brock McGinnis. Um, you can uh, find me these days at uh, Nationwide Audiovisual in Toronto. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm happy to connect uh, on LinkedIn as well. Haley, thank you so much. Uh, how do people connect with you? Thanks for having me here. Um, so you can add me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is spelled H-A-L-E-Y-T-U-O-H-Y. -E the U is before the O. Um, and then on Twitter, it's exactly the same. So it's at Haley Tui, H-A-L-E-Y-T-U-O-H-Y. So hope to talk to some of you soon. I've known you for two and a half years and I still screw up your last name when I type it out. Everybody does. Everybody does. Don't worry. It's over 90% of the time, which is why I always emphasize it like that. I promise I'm not a narcissist. <laughs> uh, no, 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 definitely not. Uh, but thank you both so much uh, for me, for Tim Albright. Uh, don't follow me on the Twitters. I'm still waiting for the Bears to hire a head coach. Uh, but go by the website if you would, please, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Uh, you'll find this program uh, and uh, a host of others, including our, our look at the residential side of the AV industry, uh, Resi Week, hosted by our, our buddy Matt Scott. Uh, a couple things happening on the website. Number one, uh, this is the final week of the AV Nation uh, Reader's Choice Awards. Uh, this is the final week, the final round. So go there and vote your heart out and tell us who you like and what products are the best and the best education and the best technical support and all that jazz. Uh, in addition, I, I want to give a shout out to our buddy Chris Netto, who's been doing a, uh, an AV challenge every day for 30 days, posting stuff on Twitter. Uh, today's was um, uh, name somebody and, and give you uh, give three, uh, three words to describe them. But uh, check out the AV challenge as well. Uh, so thank you so much. Go by the website and find all that out and more at avnation.tv. It's avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week.